Well, good morning, Lake Forest. For those of you that I haven't had a chance to meet, I'm Holly Worsley. I'm one of the elders here at Lake Forest, and um, it's my joy to give the message this morning. Well, I have lived most of, most of my life in the South. My parents grew up in the South, but I was actually born in California. Um, my dad is a Marine, and he was in California training troops to go to Vietnam. And they were expecting me about the same time that he was going to have to depart for Vietnam. Now, the first thing my mom did there when she got to California, 3,000 miles away from any people she knew or any home she'd ever known, she did the Southern thing, and she went up and down the hallway of their apartment building, and she knocked on every door and introduced herself. She said, hi, I'm your neighbor. And those California people were like, what has just happened, right? But she knew everybody, and she knew everybody's name, and they knew who she was, and that was God's providence. Because I came into the world, and this is, I'm going to date myself, but this was back when dads couldn't be in the delivery room. They had to, like you see in the movies, hold up the sign that says, you know, Worsley, and they'd be like, that one's yours, right? So he couldn't hold me in the hospital, and he's getting ready to leave for Vietnam. And so mom made the decision to leave the hospital early. And she went home, and we had one night together, the three of us. And dad held me, and we were a family of three And the next morning, my mom, 3,000 miles away from family in a brand new state, went to the airstrip and put her husband on a plane for Vietnam. And then she and I went back alone to the apartment. She put me, she was exhausted, she put me down in a bassinet and lay down to sleep while I was asleep. And when she fell asleep, she hemorrhaged and she was bleeding out. And one of our neighbors hadn't heard from us, knew that she'd had the baby and came knocked on the door. Couldn't, couldn't get mom to come to the door. And so she went to get the landlord and came back and got him to let her in and came in and discovered us. They took us to the hospital and quite literally saved our lives. When I was in my late 20s, I had work in California and I went and found that couple. And I took them to dinner and I said, this is a picture of my family. Thank you for being a good neighbor. Now, neighbors don't always save our lives physically. But when we are the kind of neighbor that Jesus is describing in our story today, it always, always impacts our soul transformationally. And that's what he's calling us to today in this story. Let me pray for us. Father God, sometimes we are so in a hurry and and the world is so loud that we don't see each other. And maybe we think if we stop and see that and and step into that, that it's going to cost me, that it's going to derail these plans and all these things swarm through our head. And so this morning we just ask you, would you help us sort that out? Would you speak to us through your word and help us to hear from your perspective, God? What does it look like to be a neighbor? What does it look like to see people, to see their need? Father, we just ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the scene starts like so many scenes in the gospel. 
Jesus would have been sitting down and the people listening to him would have been sitting down and, and they're listening to him teach and people were so drawn to Jesus because he taught like nobody else ever had. And the scriptures say that one man was a lawyer. Now he wasn't a lawyer of civil or criminal things. He was a lawyer, an expert in the law of the Old Testament, of God's word. And I think he was probably looking at this Jesus and he's thinking, okay, this guy was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth. It's like a podunk town. What good comes from Nazareth? And, and by the way, where was he even trained? Where did this guy even come from? Nobody knows. And so the scriptures say that he stood up. Well, when you stand up to ask a teacher a question, you're showing reverence and respect for them. But we know that wasn't where his heart was because the scripture said he stood up to test Jesus he stood up to test this little upstart teacher, right? And he says this, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus knows if he looks back at this guy, because he knows his heart, he knows he's testing him. If he looks back at this guy and answers his question, it's going to turn into a debate. And so he's wise enough to see into the guy's heart and to ask him a question to draw out the man's realization of his own heart. And, and it's already, where he's tripped up spiritually, he's already been exposed in this question. He says, what do I have to do? I mean, how good do I have to be? How many good things do I have to do? How much of that will add up to me being able to get into heaven, to reconnect with God? Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. So Jesus looks back at him and he says, well, you're an expert of the law. It's playing into his conceit. I, I'm interested in what you think. And he immediately says this. Oh, I think it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. He just spits it right back. He's quoting from one of the most famous verses in the, in the Old Testament, in the law. It's Deuteronomy 6.4. And it goes like this. Hear, O Israel. The Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. The Jews would take that verse and they would write it on a little scroll and they would put it in a box on the door frame of their house so that quite literally, physically, as they went into their home and they came out of their home, they would be reminded, my entire purpose in this world is to love the Lord with all my mind and soul and heart and strength. And every Jew in that circle would have known that. But then this hush falls over the crowd because the man has stood up and, and literally made that, like that was an easy thing. Like, oh, all I have to do to get to heaven is just love the Lord with all my mind, soul, heart, and strength. But all of these Jews, they had an understanding of God's holiness that was profound. They would not even say the personal name of God, Yahweh. They wouldn't even utter it unless they were in the temple. They wouldn't even speak it out loud. And the reason that we even have the scriptures that we have is because scribes that took old scrolls and transcribed them to new scrolls went to school for eight years to learn how to copy them right. They weren't allowed to see the word D and write the word D over here. They had to write T, T. H, H, E, E. If any letter was missing, if any word was out of place, it was burned and they started over. And when they got to the name Yahweh, the personal name of God, 
They had to put down their work and go away and bathe and cleanse themselves before they could come back and even write the name, the personal name of God, Yahweh. All of these Jews understood God's holiness to be literally unattainable. And this guy had just stood up and said, well, all I really have to do is love this holy other God with all my heart, soul, strength perfectly every day. And there's like this hush it was embarrassing. I mean, it was embarrassing how every single one of them knew their lack to be able to even begin to do that. And so now he's kind of scrambling. He's kind of embarrassed. And the scriptures literally say, okay, now he has to justify himself because he stood up to put this guy right. And now he's embarrassed. And so he says, well, okay, so let's do this. Who's my neighbor? Because that was the second part. He said he had to do to go to heaven. And that came from a verse in Leviticus. Listen to this verse. Listen to what it says. Don't seek revenge. Don't bear a grudge against anyone. Don't seek revenge. Don't bear a grudge against anyone. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so again, Jesus is like, I don't want to debate with this guy. So I'm going to tell him a story. and I'm going to try to get him to reveal his own heart. And so he begins to tell this story. He says, well, there was a man, and he was, he was in Jerusalem, which is up on a hill, and he was literally descending the 17-mile journey down to Jericho. Now, Jericho um, in Jerusalem, it's desert land that he was traveling on. It was a really narrow pathway about this wide, and along the way, there are caves all along the way. And so a man is journeying down there, and it's well known that robbers hide in the caves. And sure enough, this day, they come out, they attack the man. They not only take his money, but they take his clothes because clothes were valuable. They were really expensive. And so they literally strip the man of his clothes, and he's laying in the dirt on his face, bleeding, beaten, half dead, left to die. Fortunately, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw, when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Keep in mind, the road was literally this wide. It's a steep drop off here. It's mountains here. He had to be this close to a dying, bleeding, moaning man. Why didn't he stop? Well, we know that the priest was probably going to Jerusalem earlier before he met the man, and he had done a week's worth in Jerusalem, his temple duty that he did twice a year, and he was returning home. If he had touched the man that was bleeding and possibly dead, he would have had to go back to Jerusalem, ceremonially clean himself again, and then go home missing a week of work. Was that it? Was he afraid that the robbers were still in the cave right there and that he might be next, and so out of fear he just ran? Or was it possibly this? In this time, the people all spoke different languages and dressed differently, and that's how you knew who was in what group. The priest spoke Hebrew. Peasants spoke Aramaic. Romans spoke Latin. Galileans spoke Greek. They dressed according to what group they were in, but guess what? The guy can't speak. He's naked. He has no clothes to identify him. So, God forbid it be a Samaritan and I touch him. And so maybe it was all of his reasons, but he passes by him on a road this wide. Then the scriptures, Jesus tells the story that a Levite, as an assistant to a priest, 
he, he came along, and again it says same word. He saw the man this wide. He saw the man. Kept going. We don't know why. Then Jesus says, but a Samaritan, and all the hair on the back of everybody's neck, all these Jews, hair stands up on end, because now you're saying Samaritan. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and he saw the man. He didn't just see him with his eyes. He saw him with his heart and in his gut and his soul. And he sees a guy literally four feet away from him, bleeding out, unconscious, with life slipping away from him. And he's filled with compassion for this man that he does not know. It says he bound up his wounds. Where did he get bandages? He probably ripped up his own clothes. And he bound up this stranger. And then he took oil and he put the oil on his bruises and he took wine and used it as an anesthetic to try to clean the cuts. And then imagine a man's unconscious body, the weight of a man's dead weight, unconscious body, the effort it would have taken to get him up onto a donkey so that he could move him, so that he could try to save his life. And now he's walking. And he takes this man to an inn, which is basically a house that has extra room in the gate where they keep the animals, but at least it was shelter. And he says to the innkeeper, this is my money. Here. Would you, I have to go on my journey, but would you take care of him? And by the way, when I'm coming back through, if it's taken more, if it's cost more money, I'll pay it. See, that's huge. Because in this day and time, the man has no money, he has no clothes, he has nothing left. What if it had taken him a month to heal? Well, all of that money that it cost to heal him over that month would have made him then a slave to the innkeeper. There's no IOU. You're now a slave to the innkeeper. So this stranger, this good Samaritan, had literally saved this man from death. It had cost him time. It had cost him money. And he had saved him from slavery. Why did it sting so much? Why did the Jews, the hair stand up on the back of their head when the Samaritans, the hero of the story, what was that about? Well, it goes all the way back to King David. You may remember the story David and Goliath from when you were little. King David was the great king that took all of God's people, all the Israelites. They were in all these different tribes, 12 tribes, separated, doing their thing. And he united them. He made them a kingdom, a kingdom of God's people. And then his son, Solomon, Solomon built the temple, the temple of God in Jerusalem. But towards the end of Solomon's life, he started uh, forgetting the things of God. He started becoming a man that should never have been in charge of the people of God. He started doing what Solomon wanted to do, never ever what God had called him to do. And this darkness came into the kingdom, and his son Rehoboam saw that darkness in his father, and he took that and multiplied it when he became king. He was ruthless and cold and nothing of the things of God. And so the people said, we're out of here, Rehoboam. And 10 of those tribes went up north, and only two stayed down south. And here's what they did when they went up north. They said, well, we don't have a temple anymore, so you know what? We're not going to have one temple. We're going to build two temples. But we're not just going to worship Yahweh. We're going to worship lots of gods. We're going to worship the gods in our area, too. And we're going to take these golden calves, and we're going to put them in the temples there. 
And, and we're not going to obey the whole word of God. We're just going to obey the first five books because after that it talks about King David and Jerusalem and all that stuff. And we don't, we don't want anything to do with that anymore. And so we're just going to obey part of what God says. Not long after that, the great Assyrian empire came in and wiped out. And they took 10%. They took all the leaders away. And then, here's key, they took people that they had conquered in other lands and they put them in with these northern tribes. Guess what the capital of that northern kingdom was? Samaria. And over time, the Jews intermarried with these people, these foreigners from other lands. And so Samaria, Samaritans, well, they were half-breeds. They were only half-Jews. I mean, they didn't faithfully follow God's word. They took it apart and did what they wanted to do. They built a new temple, but it wasn't a temple. It was a place where they worshipped whatever they wanted to worship and put golden calves in there and worshipped them. And to the Jews were disgusted by the Samaritans. You disgust me. Jesus made the Samaritan the hero of the story. And then he looks at the man and he says, who was a good neighbor in that story? The lawyer can't even say the word Samaritan. He can't bring himself to say it. He just says, well, the, the one who showed mercy. And then Jesus says this, Go and do likewise. Go and be loving like that Samaritan was loving. So great is this lawyer's disgust over Samaritans. For the second time, he's exposed. He's exposed himself. He's, he's like, there's no way I could ever love a Samaritan like I love myself. And so what he has essentially proven is that I have a total lack of loving a holy other God perfectly with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength every day. Total lack of ability to do that. Total lack of an ability to even get close. And I could never love that disgusting Samaritan like I love myself. Total lack of ability to truly love all people. The last couple of weeks, Michael and Bud have, have taken us deep into the story with some beautiful truths, beautiful life lessons. But another way to study the story is to pull back and have a really wide lens. See, Luke is a doctor and he's writing this biography, this gospel, this good news about Jesus. And it says, when Luke sat down to put pen to paper, he said, I want to write an orderly account See, he, he'd already seen Jesus resurrected. And so he said, I want to write, I want to write it so you get it. Like, so you really get who this man God was, what he did for us. And so if we pull back and say, where does this Good Samaritan story actually fall in Luke's biography? We realize that before this story, Jesus said this to his disciples. The Son of Man, that's Jesus, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. He said to him, I'm going to die. But they didn't have any understanding of that. They couldn't take in a suffering Messiah. They couldn't take in a, a broken, defeated Messiah. It was in the Old Testament, but all they could really take in was that the kingdom was going to come. It was going to come in power and might, and it was going to be a tremendous takeover. And then right after that, Jesus said to him, 
as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So friends, from that moment on, it says in some translation, he turned his face towards Jerusalem. He turned his face. He resolutely said, I am now walking towards Jerusalem. I am now walking towards the cross. After they're already on the road to Jerusalem, they encounter this lawyer who then shows himself to be completely incapable of loving a holy God, completely incapable of loving anyone else for any length of time more than himself. And so what we start to learn on the road to Jerusalem is that I can never measure up to the standards of a holy God. I mean, we see that on the road to Jerusalem. The Good Samaritan story is teaching us on the way to the cross we won't ever measure up. There's nothing we can do. We're not going to get there. And then we get to the cross. Jesus was fully God, but he was fully man too. And the night before he was to be crucified, he was in a garden praying to his father. And he was laying on his face, and he was begging God, is there another way? Is there another way other than the cross for, for their lack, for your children's lack to be made up, to reconnect them to a holy God? Is there any other way, Father? Three times he begged, is there another way? The Father said, there is no other way. And so he, this God-man allowed himself to be beaten and tortured. He endured betrayal by those closest to him. He submitted himself to death on a cross for our lack, for what we couldn't make up to get to a holy God, for our prejudice, for our judgments, for our selfishness. And what we learn at the cross is that you and I, we never initiate love for God. We can't, we don't, we don't begin. We're not the ones that begin. We don't initiate. All we do is respond to God's great, sacrificial, costly love for us. We don't initiate. We actually just respond. So how do you respond to that kind of sacrificial love? Well, Jesus tells us at the end of the parable. He says, go and do likewise. But see, that's not the end of Luke's gospel. Because where we fall in God's story is revealed at the end, the very end of Luke's gospel, Luke 24, 49. And behold, that means listen. Listen to the good news. I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. See, friends, in the whole of God's stories, there were moments, there were places where the holy God of the universe would come and dwell among his people. The first was the tabernacle, the moving temple of God in the desert when his people were wandering in the desert. The holy God came and dwelt among his people in the tabernacle. And then it was the temple. Solomon built the temple. Remember, and, and it's, the scriptures literally say heaven met earth in the temple. Holy met human in the temple, and God dwelled among his people. And then it was Jesus. 
When Jesus walked on the earth, he was fully God and fully man, and holy met human in Jesus. And guess where it is? Guess where God dwells now? In you. In his people. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says it this way. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. Friends, when you make a decision to follow God, whether that's quietly in your heart or it's a prayer you actually pray, when you say, God, I know so little of you and I think I know less of me, but when you step over that line and say, but I, I want you in my life, I want to follow you, where we are in the story, in God's story, the Holy Spirit of God comes and dwells in you. You are now a temple of the Holy God. And hear this, wherever you are, a part of the kingdom of God is there. If you're a follower of Jesus, wherever you are, a part of the kingdom of God is there. All three of those men, Jesus is very careful to use the same word. The priest saw, the Levite saw, the Samaritan saw. It hurt him in his gut, made him sick, made him stop cost him. Wherever you are, a part of the kingdom of God is there. Do you realize the power that God has put in your life? That when you interact with your neighbors, when you go to work, when you walk down the street, when you encounter someone by chance in the family you came from, in the family you might be building, do you understand that wherever you are, the kingdom of God is there? It's unleashing its power. If you're aware, if you want it to be unleashed, I was visiting a friend in the um, hospital recently. He's getting ready to have cancer surgery. And I walked in, and she looked up at me, and she said, Holly, The doctor prayed for me. Kingdom of God was in an operating room that day. And a friend of mine who's a lawyer, he had um, a couple and their son, great kid, great kid, just made a really one-time stupid decision, and it was in danger of truly tanking his life, his, his youth. And he's sitting as a lawyer in, and he's watching this couple and the son, and he's seeing their grief, and he's laying out for them, here's the reality, here's, here's what you're looking at, here are the possibilities, I just want to be honest with you. And he's looking into their eyes, and he's seeing their grief, and their fear, and their anguish, and then he just says, can I pray for you guys? Kingdom of God was in a law office that day. One of my neighbors in my neighborhood right here found out that one of our ministry partners, Ada Jenkins, runs out of fresh produce too quickly. And that the people in Davidson, North Carolina, that are hungry every day, that go to Ada Jenkins so they can feed their family, they needed more fresh produce. 
So she emails us as neighbors, and she said, okay, today they need onions, today they need carrots, today they did this, and we just put it on our front stoop. And she and her husband go around the neighborhood, and they pick up this stuff, and then they walk into Ada Jenkins, and they give it so that people can come and eat. And when they walk in there with onions, the kingdom of God's walking in Ada Jenkins, feeds people. My friend Karen, before she moves into a home, she just starts praying for her neighbors that are going to be around her. And then she systematically walks, she walks every day. She, she walks down her street, and as she does, she prays for the neighbors. Things she knows, things she doesn't know. She systematic plays for chances to get to know them. And as this ordinary woman is walking down the street in Davidson praying for her neighbors, the kingdom of God is walking down that street. There's an amazing man who's a young life leader here in the area. And he walks into high schools, and he does life with high school students. And he goes to their football games, and he listens to the things that are breaking their hearts, and, and he watches them be goofballs, and he just does life with them. Now, he lost his dad this fall. And a group of high school students got dressed up, barred an SUV, and drove to the funeral. They couldn't get in. It was so packed. But afterwards, they went to the reception. And those high school students that had no idea what to say, because what do you say in that? They just walked up to him one by one, and they just bear-hugged him. And the kingdom of God was in line to give bear hugs at a funeral that day. Friends, what if we did our days truly more in the thinking that wherever I go, the kingdom of God is here? Not because of me, but because of the outrageous grace and sacrificial love displayed on the cross after I showed my total lack and total inability to love God and love other people, this outrageous grace displayed on the cross. And all Jesus and God ask of us is, go and do likewise. What if I, what if I really believed that more? Hmm. Maybe that's what Jesus was doing in that story. Let me pray for us. Father God, um, Forgive us for the times that we see and aren't moved with compassion. We, you are not calling us to stop at every need because we wouldn't be capable. You're not. But we can feel compassion at those needs. And we can honestly search our hearts and listen for you for when you say, that's the one. That's the one. Now go and do likewise. Because the truth is, in and of who you've made us, whether it's doctors or lawyers or teachers or neighbors or students, you're going to show us the need that is ours, the need where we are called to go and do likewise. You're going to show that to us. And so, God, may we be people that see with our hearts, and may we be people who believe that you are present where we are, not because of our goodness, but because of your outrageous grace.
And may we be people who are ready to respond and to do likewise. God, help us to be more of those people. We ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. We come now to a time of communion and reflection. So there will be six stations uh, set up here in the gym, one on each of the corners. The corner behind me to my left is the prayer station. If you would like to receive communion uh, and kneel and pray, that's the best place to do that. All of the bread is gluten-free, so all the stations are the same. If you have trusted in Christ, you are welcome at this table. If you're still contemplating that decision, we encourage